Hello, this is Joshua Mack from Cornerstone Bible Church. Uh, we're doing a series of short talks on marriage and family, and uh, there are a number of different reasons why uh, we're we're taking the time to to talk about all this. Uh, one is because marriage is so important. We know how important it is to us personally. If you're married, there's really no relationship in your life that is going to impact you more than your marriage. Uh, in, in terms of our own lives, looking back, we're all part of families. If you're not part of a family, that certainly has a profound impact on you. And if you are part of a family, that family has completely shaped you. Uh, it's uh, the, the impact of a marriage, of marriage and family is generational. It doesn't just impact you, but it impacts those who come after you. And it doesn't only impact those close to you. You know, a strong marriage, uh, strong marriages end up creating a strong society. Weak marriages create a weak society. All that we, our marriages, our families, have an impact in this world. But of course, we know that marriage and family is an important subject to talk about. Not just because of the way it impacts us or impacts others, but ultimately because God designed marriage to put His glory on display. So God wants to do something bigger than just you through your marriage. He wants to make himself look great and help others see who he is and learn about the gospel and understand what he's doing in the universe. So marriage is vitally important in the big scheme of things. And as a result, it's no surprise that marriage comes under attack. It's hard to have a good marriage, hard to have a good family. First of all, there's of course, just our own sin that makes it difficult. Uh, we're broken and we're sinners. And so we often pursue the very things that do the most damage to us. Uh, not only do we struggle in our marriages because of our own sin, though, uh, we also struggle in our marriages and in our families because we have been sinned against. We live in a world where there aren't many good examples of good families and good marriages. And so some of us have grown up in homes where we never saw uh, an example of a godly husband or a godly wife. And that's obviously a, a, a massive problem. And then, of course, uh, we know this is difficult. It's difficult to have a, a good marriage and have a good family because uh, not only are we sinners and not only are we sinned against and uh, living in this broken world like we are, there's also a Satan who hates God and hates God's people and knows how important marriage is, I'm sure, and so is constantly attacking the marriage and and, and the family. And so uh, we are going back to the beginning. We're doing some short talks on marriage, and, and we're going way back to the beginning, like way back. And we're trying to ask the question, what is a marriage? So how's that for kind of a simple place to start? What does it mean to be married? And we said if we're going to define marriage, we have to go back to the scriptures because it doesn't really matter what I think marriage is or what someone else might think marriage is. Uh, the question is, what does God say marriage is? And if you were going to define marriage biblically, where would you start? The place to start would be uh, creation, pre-fall, before sin, what the Bible uh, says about creation is not just information for us. Uh, the way God designed the world to work before the fall is the way the world's supposed to work. It's a picture of perfection. So you look at Genesis 1 and 2, you're seeing something before it's broken. 
And of course, when we look at the world before it was broken, before the fall, we see marriage. We don't see everything there, honestly. It's just a couple pages in our Bible. But marriage is there, which is a privilege, and it shows us how important marriage is. God wants us to know what it was like pre-fall so we can understand what it's supposed to be after the fall. And when we look pre-fall, we see several important things about marriage, uh, several important things that can help us understand marriage. First, God planned it. God designed it. Marriage is God-designed. So marriage is not man coming to God and saying, I kind of would like a woman here. No, God is the one who saw man's need, and he's the one who brought the woman to him to the man. It is a man and woman. Marriage has to do with a man and a woman, and it's at God's initiative. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper, uh, make him a helper fit for him. And then you know the story. He did. Genesis 2.22 and 23. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Which is significant. Understanding that a God is the one who created marriage is significant for a whole lot of different reasons. Uh, one of the uh, struggles that you sometimes face when you're doing marriage counseling is that uh, people will say, you know, that's nice for you. Or uh, I was a missionary for a number of years, so they would people would say to me sometimes that that's your culture you're an american that's your culture and uh you know as an american uh we take that objection pretty seriously because our culture right now is to say that you can't mess with anyone else's culture <laughs> and uh the truth is actually that we do have to think about that objection a little because there is a lot of cultural baggage that we bring into counseling, and not just cultural baggage, but also just our family backgrounds, our, our temperament, all of that. We uh, One of the ways we saw that while living in Africa when it came to marriage was uh, public displays of affection. So Americans, uh, many Americans are pretty free with that, and where we were, uh, the it wasn't so culturally appropriate. In fact, people would say, ah, that's just an American way of treating a spouse. And uh, so we would have to think, you know, what do you do? Uh, because culture does have an impact on us. And yet at the same time, there are things that are just baseline and above culture. And so affection is above culture. A husband needs to love and cherish and nourish his wife. And Song of Solomon shows us this beautiful picture of the husband-wife relationship. And there's definitely a lot of affection there. But in terms of holding hands in public or whatever, there's no verse on that. And so there's going to be cultural variations to that. Uh, variations maybe even just in terms of personality, temperament, family background. But while there are some of those differences in terms of how we do marriage that we have to think about and be careful about when we talk to one another. The point is that ultimately the standard is above culture. You could say it's pre-culture. It's based on what God has revealed in his word, beginning back at creation. And that's what we want to pursue. 
that's what is going to actually have authority in our lives. So that's one reason it's important to see God design marriage because God is above culture. And so it means we can talk to each other about how marriage is supposed to be. There's a, there's a standard. Another reason it's important to notice that God designed it before the fall is that, and I, I'm struggling to find a good way to say this, but it's just that this is the way marriage is. Because God is the maker of it, his definition of it is what it is. So it's kind of like if God makes a tree and then tells you this is a tree, then that's what the tree is. Uh, no, no, no matter what you might say instead. Now we know after the fall, things got messed up, of course, and so trees don't always look as good as they should. But a tree is a tree. And you can call something else a tree. You call a dog a tree, I suppose, but it's not a it's not a tree. And so you might call something the same is true with marriage. You might call something else marriage, but if it doesn't line up with God's definition, it's not marriage. Because he's the king of the universe and he's the creator of marriage, the designer of marriage. And as a result, he is the one who gets to tell us what marriage is and what marriage is not. So so looking back to creation, we see that God planned marriage. That's first. That's going to help us uh, even be able to have a definition of marriage. And then we see uh, one big reason why God designed marriage as well. It says, uh, Genesis 2.18, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And of course, you know the story, Genesis 1 and 2. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then all of a sudden, it's not good. So that stands out. And it's God saying it. And it's God saying it before the fall. So we need to pay attention. What is not good? Man being alone. Why? The next line says, he needs a helper. And what does helper mean? It means someone who comes to the aid of someone else. So it's not a small word. It's not man needs a maid or something ridiculous like that. It often refers to divine assistance, actually. There are a couple times in the Bible where it refers to bringing military aid. An army might be a helper. And one reason God made marriage is because man needed a helper. Now, why did man need a helper? In the context, if you look three verses back in Genesis 2, uh, verse 15 specifically, God gave man a job to do. He took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And you can connect that job back to Genesis 1, being fruitful and multiplying and subduing the earth. So man was put on the planet to make the whole planet basically the Garden of Eden, a place where God and man could enjoy fellowship. And he was put here to fill the world with other images of God who would be glorifying God all over the planet. And obviously he needed help accomplishing the task God had given him. He couldn't do that on his own. And so God designed a a partner suitable for him. There's something about the woman and there's something about this marriage partnership that would enable man to fulfill that mission better than he could by himself, which I think is significant, again, for marriage. To understand marriage, you start with God, and then you have to go a step further and think about God's purpose for marriage. Why are you married? Because marriage has a purpose. Why are you married? Is, is, Is the purpose of your marriage God's purpose for marriage? 
because this is where a lot of people go wrong. Uh, the answer for a lot of people, if you ask them, why are you married? It stops with themselves. And they don't even think to question that. It's like this completely inward focus. Why are we married? We, we like each other. We have a good friendship, whatever. And behind that, I think, is, uh, you know, this person makes me happy or I make them happy. That's why we're married. And that's important, of course. But what I'm saying is that looking back at God's design for marriage, it was for something bigger than just us liking each other and having a good friendship. If the ultimate goal of marriage is just us liking each other, that goal is too small. Marriage is about serving God. Marriage is about fulfilling a purpose God has has given us to bring him glory in this world. And this is one of the tricks, I think, when people are having marriage problems because uh, most people who are having problems, they're thinking what? Well, if the, the reason they're married is because they liked each other and they have a good friendship, then they're probably wanting help because they don't like each other anymore and they don't have a good friendship. So Jack and Jill come to you and they want you to help them and they're like, help me. Why? Because we're not close anymore and we're not happy. And so their primary concern is, can you help us be close and happy again? And you're like, yeah, I, I totally want to help you be close and I definitely want you to be happy. But there are problems if that is your primary, your main, your single motivation. And one problem with making happiness or closeness your ultimate goal is that as long as people are happy in marriage, then they're like, well, we've automatically got a great marriage. And that's not necessarily true. You can be happy in marriage and that marriage not fulfilling its ultimate purpose. Not its ultimate purpose. It's great that you're happy, I suppose. But if you're so happy on the Titanic that you don't get off, then that happiness isn't a great thing, right? So happiness in and of itself is not always not always good, I suppose you could say it like that. And uh, having a happy marriage is is nice, but if you're not fulfilling the ultimate purpose of marriage, then you're missing out on what God made marriage to be. Uh, another problem was saying that the main thing I want for marriage is that I'm happy or you're happy or that we're close is that then you're not going to be that happy or close, actually. Focusing primarily on your happiness is not normally how you become happy. Or focusing primarily on being good friends is not normally how you have a good friendship. I like how C.S. Lewis once wrote, he said, Friendship arises when two or more discover that they have in common some insight or interest. As Emerson said, do you love me means do you see the same truth, or at least do you care about the same truth? The man who agrees with us on that question can be our friend. That's why those pathetic people, that's tough, but that's what Lewis says. That's why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The, the very condition of having friends is that we should want something besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I don't care about the truth. I only want you to be my friend. No friendship can arise. Friendship must be about something, even if it were only enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. So if your primary 
motivation is just I want to be close. Well, then you're not going to end up that close because the way f- closeness works is you both are focused on something bigger than yourselves. And then uh, finally, if the primary thing that's motivating you to work on the marriage is I want to be happy, I want to be close, then that motive is the same reason a lot of people get divorced, right? I'm not happy. We're not close. It's not wrong to want to be happy in marriage and have a great friendship in marriage, of course, but you need a, a motive that is even bigger than that. Couples need a transcendent purpose for coming together, staying together, and raising children, a purpose bigger than just them. And uh, the Bible tells us that purpose. Marriage is for glorifying God by serving God together. Marriage is to be a visible and lived out image of the love of the Lord for his people, which we'll talk about more later. God planned marriage. He designed marriage for a certain purpose. And in Genesis 2, before the fall, we also see that he identifies the basic elements that constitute marriage. Genesis 2.24, and we'll go through this quickly. But it's important because marriage is something and, and God says what it is. He identifies the elephant elements that make up marriage. He says, for this reason, and that shows that it's like Moses almost hitting pause uh, on the creation of the universe and uh, turning to, uh, to us and saying, okay, I'm about to talk about marriage and I want to... I want to show you this pattern that started in the fall because this pattern is normative for you and for me today. And what is the pattern? Uh, Moses says, uh, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And so what are the elements there? We're going we're gonna to talk about this more in the future, but let's just highlight them. Leave, cleave, and become one flesh. So leave... There's a change in the relationship status, and this was a culture that honored parents. So this is radical because Moses is saying that a man's primary human relationship should be with his wife. And it wasn't the woman who made all the sacrifices either. A man shall leave his father and his mother, cleave, and that's about commitment, and become one flesh. That's about union. Marriage is one life fully shared. And again, I'll just quote here because it's so good. In the one flesh union of marriage, all the boundaries between a man and a woman fall away, and the married couple comes together completely as long as they both shall live. In real terms, two selfish me's start learning to think like one unified us, building a life together with one total everything, one story, one purpose, one reputation, one bed, one suffering, one budget, one family. Marriage removes all barriers and replaces them with a comprehensive oneness. It is this all-encompassing all-encompassing unity that sets marriage apart as marriage, more profound than even the most intense friendship. Friends have much in common, but wise friends also have boundaries. They do not share everything. And there's much good in friendship, limited as it is, but what distinguishes marriage is the all-inclusive scope of its claims upon both the man and the woman. The two become one flesh, one mortal life, fully shared with total openness, total access, total solidarity for the rest of their earthly days. That's marriage. Awesome. Maybe a little scary for some, but that's that's marriage. That's awesome and beautiful. And those are the basic elements of marriage, not according to to man, but according to God. 
And if we take those basic elements and we put them together, they can act almost for us like a blueprint. And we can take that blueprint and come up with a definition, God's definition of what it means to be married, which we'll talk about next time.